0: Welcome back to the Psychonauts, the podcast that trips into the realm of psychedelic psychiatry as hallucinogenic mushrooms go on trial in South Africa. This is Leonie Jaber. The voice diaries in this podcast are little news snippets that I'm popping in from time to time, in between recording the former episodes. It's a chance to get up to speed with what's happening around the world in terms of any new developments in the realm of psychedelic-assisted therapy. It's a chance to discuss what's happening in drug policy reform, breakthroughs on the medical front, or activism from within the medical community and the underground psychedelics crowd. This voice diary looks at the surprising fact that, even though South Africa is pretty conservative on these matters, the door is already open for a version of psychedelic-assisted therapy. Today we're talking about Ibogaine, Ayahuasca is a psychedelic made from the iboga plant, a shrub that's indigenous to the rainforests of Western Central Africa. It's been used there as part of spiritual practice for, well, certainly hundreds of years, maybe even thousands. Most of you will recognize the psychedelics that are also used in the recreational space, magic mushrooms or LSD, or the lab-made psychedelic MDMA, otherwise known as ecstasy. Unlike these, though, Ibogaine isn't used in the party scene at all. It's way too potent. But it is proving to be very effective for treating addiction, and it's making serious waves in the US right now, given that country's current opiate crisis. A single large dose of Ibogaine, done with the correct medical supervision and post-treatment follow-up, seems to be enough to help people break the shackles of opiate and alcohol addiction with virtually no withdrawal. One U.S. doctor says that 24 hours into an Ibogaine treatment and a patient is already where they'd be three months into a traditional rehab recovery process. This isn't verified, mind you, but it's an interesting anecdote. Ibogaine is illegal in the United States, along with all the other main psychedelics. But people are traveling to Ibogaine rehab centers outside of the U.S. to get treatment. And the feedback has been overwhelmingly positive. Here in South Africa, ibogaine has never been illegal, unlike the other psychedelics, which are still illegal here. This means that, until recently, rehab centres have been free to use ibogaine as a complementary medicine. But there is one serious possible side effect with using the substance. It slows the heart rate right down. So if someone has a pre-existing heart condition, there is a risk of cardiac failure after ingesting ibogaine. Because of this documented risk, the Medicines Control Council of South Africa, the MCC, decided that ibogaine should be subject to formal scheduling protocols. And here's the interesting development. In the middle of 2016, the MCC listed ibogaine as a Schedule 6 substance. That means that doctors can prescribe it and treat with it, just like with some of the more highly regulated narcotic painkillers. The state didn't list it as a Schedule 7 substance, which would have made it illegal alongside heroin, cannabis, magic mushrooms, and LSD. So one could argue that the state has set a precedent with the scheduling of Ibogaine, showing that it is open to consider the concept of psychedelic-assisted therapy as a real treatment. This could open the door further for the rescheduling of other psychedelics, so that they can also be used therapeutically. If you've listened to earlier episodes of the podcast, you'll be up to speed with developments here in South Africa. In 2018, a legal team will ask the Western Cape High Court to reconsider the illegality of psilocybin, the hallucinogenic compound found in magic mushrooms, arguing that magic mushrooms are not harmful or addictive, and that they have huge therapeutic potential and spiritual benefit for people. If the legal team can convince the courts to make psilocybin available for medical use, the state will have to put regulations in place that will allow for mushrooms to be grown, distributed, sold, and used here safely. Part of this process will be deciding on how to schedule the substance. Will they make it a Schedule 6 drug, like Ibogaine, which is the most tightly controlled type of prescription drug? Or should it be a Schedule 4, like an antidepressant, where you still have to consult your doctor and get a script, but restrictions on getting hold of the drug aren't as rigorous? Or should it be a Schedule 1 or 2 drug? An over-the-counter medicine, basically, like cough mixture or a cold preparation, where you just ask your pharmacist for the product, you register your contact details, and then they sell it to you? Or should it be completely unscheduled, like the headache tablets that you buy in the medicine aisle at your local supermarket? It's unlikely that regulators will agree to allow magic mushrooms to be stocked alongside the paracetamol and the antacid tablets down at your local shop Bright checkers. But the drug policy advocacy people I've spoken with say that a Schedule 6 listing of psilocybin would be a terrible outcome because the substance would be so tightly controlled, so expensive and so difficult to get hold of that it would defeat the purpose of having it decriminalised in the first place. Psychiatric drugs at the moment are so expensive as it is, and access to therapy is so unaffordable that if this substance, psilocybin, is the breakthrough medical technology for treating mood disorders and addictions that early research suggests it might be, then it has to be affordably available to people. Psilocybin mushrooms are pretty benign relative to most of the other drugs that they share their Schedule 7 listing with, like heroin. It's not a hard drug there's no evidence to suggest that magic mushrooms are addictive. And if they're handled in the correct way, the harms and risks are incredibly low. And in terms of its psychedelic influence, psilocybin mushrooms are much softer than Ibogaine, and with little of the potential physical risks. So a Schedule 6 listing would be unnecessarily restrictive. Something else that will inform the scheduling decision, and the resulting regulations that will have to be put in place around them, is the unique way in which psychedelics need to be used in order for people to get the most medical benefit from the substance. I've looked at this in previous episodes, but it does bear repeating here. With conventional antidepressants and certain anti-anxiety meds, you have to take a small dose daily to keep the chemical present in your body at a constant level. That's what makes them effective if they do work at all. With psychedelics, you do one or two dosing sessions on a very large dose, which induces a powerful psychedelic experience for a few hours. And it's the subjective experience you have while you're in that state that usually accounts for these powerful insights, incredible levels of understanding, this clarity of thought, which often result in positive mood and behavior changes that can last for weeks, even months after the experience. The substance leaves your body but the changes to your psychological state remain. The dosing session itself, though, needs to be done in a very specific way for it to have maximum benefit and to be safe. You need an experienced and sober therapist or sitter with you throughout. In the clinical trials being done by various medical teams in the US, the UK and Europe, a patient usually goes through a 12-week therapy process, where most of the sessions are normal talk therapy. Towards the middle of the three-month process, two psychedelic dosing sessions are done with a pair of trained therapists accompanying the person. Bear in mind, these are the protocols used by a small number of medical research teams who have managed to get through all of the red tape surrounding these illegal substances to get clearance to run clinical trials. But most of the people who want to try these substances for therapeutic use don't have access to research teams like that so they go into the underground psychedelics community and do their journey processes there. Here, journey guides and their assistants will sit with a small group of people and supervise them through a large dosing session that will usually last several hours. Different psychedelics tend to have slightly different cultural containers and protocols surrounding how the journey sessions happen. With magic mushrooms, it's usually an overnight session, starting at sunset and lasting until the early hours. With ayahuasca, it's a two- to five-day retreat, usually. When it comes to MDMA, even though this is showing incredible promise in treating various mood disorders in the clinical trials, I haven't been able to find anyone in the underground community in South Africa who practices MDMA-assisted therapy. The point is that if the laws change so that your GP can prescribe you psilocybin mushrooms and your pharmacist can then dispense them, what then? For a big dose therapy session, you shouldn't simply go home, eat your mushrooms and see what happens. It needs to be properly supervised by experienced therapists. This means that the regulations which the state puts in place need to be informed by people who are experienced in preparing individuals for these sessions. They need to know how to supervise them properly and they must know how to integrate the learning in the weeks that follow each session. Most psychedelics are illegal here in South Africa though. So the therapists who understand how the substances work, either from personal use or from having read about their therapeutic potential in the literature coming from abroad, they can't go public about their level of experience. Neither can they introduce psychedelic dosing sessions into their mainstream practices because of the ethical and legal implications. But as I said earlier, again has opened the door, with it going from being a non-regulated substance to one that doctors can prescribe as a medicine the legal team and activists who want to ask the state to decriminalize psilocybin mushrooms in South Africa can point to Ibogaine and say, in scheduling Ibogaine as a six, you've set a precedent. You are open to consider psychedelic assisted therapy as a real medical intervention with Ibogaine. So why not take it further and allow the same for psilocybin mushrooms and LSD and ayahuasca and MDMA? And then they can point to the clinical trials from medical teams abroad, which are showing very promising early findings about how effective these other substances can be for treating certain mood disorders and addictions. Late last year, the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, in the United States, declared MDMA, ecstasy, as a breakthrough medical technology for treating post-traumatic stress syndrome. This is a significant development because it means that MDMA is basically just a bit of red tape away from being licensed for medical use in the US. Some say it will be available for use alongside conventional psychotherapy methods there in just five years. The FDA is one of the most influential drug administration bodies in the Western world. What it decides is safe and beneficial for its citizens will get exported to the rest of the world. So... MDMA-assisted therapy is most likely on its way to South Africa. If our courts then decide, after this year's legal challenge, that psilocybin should be available for medical use, then that means a third psychedelic will be available for therapeutic use here before long. In summary, ibogaine is already available for medical use in South Africa. MDMA is likely to be legal for medical use within, I'd say, a decade? and psilocybin could be available as a medicine in a few years, depending on what happens in our courts in 2018. The question, therefore, is this. Where is our medical community in all of this right now? Are they reading the emerging literature? Are they skilling themselves up so that they can understand how the substances work and how to use them alongside conventional therapy methods? Are they talking with policymakers about just how to draw up regulations that are founded on evidence-based research and practitioners' experience? Are they drawing up their own industry protocols so that there are best practices in place for when the substances are legal and available for medical use? So far, I've found a handful of psychologists and psychiatrists in South Africa who are up to speed on this. And many of them are extremely cautious about going public on their position. It seems as though we're years behind the zeitgeist of what's being called the renaissance of psychedelic psychiatry in the US and Europe. It's probably going to take a lot of hard lobbying by advocacy groups within the medical community to get that to change. Coming up in the next episodes of The Psychonauts. How magic mushrooms help people with life-threatening illnesses deal with end-of-life anxiety? Are psychedelics the answer to today's environmental crisis in the dying days of capitalism? What the upcoming Constitutional Court ruling on cannabis might mean for magic mushrooms here in South Africa? And why are alcohol and tobacco so widely available when they're objectively much more harmful to us and society than psychedelics are? Stay tuned.